Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming back yet again for another fun and exciting episode of the Serpent Sales Podcast. We are here with Scott Lease, my good friend and partner, as well as uh, someone who's become a tremendous friend and mentor to me um, in the last year and a half or so, Tim Clark. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, grateful to be on the show. I listened to some of the other episodes. You've had a great lineup. Thank you. Thank you. So we've, we've, uh, we have to be very cautious with Tim as, as Tim works for a, an amazingly powerful company. Um, and we'll let Tim sort of describe what his title and role is just to give people context of, of where he's coming from and some of his points of view. Um, and then I think we also have to ha this make our safe Harbor claim that we can't discuss anything, you know, big happening at that company and, uh, don't purchase because we talk about stuff. So that's, there you uh -huh. go. I covered you there. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so Tim, tell people where, where, where do you work? What's your title and role these days? Uh, yeah, my title is Senior Director of Product Marketing at Salesforce. Uh, I've been at Salesforce since 2012. Uh, I've held a number of different roles there, both in sales as an enterprise account executive. Uh, I've hold, held a, a product marketing role in EMEA. Uh, running sales power product marketing and then a number of different titles in product marketing uh, over here in the US in San Francisco and in LA so it's been amazing to see the growth of the company and uh, before that I was in uh, uh, sales since 2007 uh, until 2014 and a number of different tech and telecom companies so um, and then in my product marketing role I've been marketing to salespeople so um, sales is, you know, kind of in my DNA, so to speak. Uh, I'll certainly what I've, I've learned and been doing for many years. When did you know you liked sales? Like, were you like the kid, like I was the kid who grew up selling candy and, you know, semi-competitive at sports, but not quite like Scott. But like, when did you know you liked sales? I, I definitely didn't want to be a salesperson. Uh, this, that was not my story whatsoever. Uh, I don't think I had a clue. I mean, in the, I was growing up in England, and I'm not sure if it's the same here in the US, but uh, in the final few years of school, you would go see a career advisor who would talk you through some of the different options that are available. And uh, everything there was about, you know, spending as much time in education and universities as possible and getting as many degrees. And so I, I thankfully, I went to university and then I started, uh, and I didn't want to go to university. My dad kept me in university, uh, essentially because I would be able to get more jobs open to me uh, as a result of having a degree. And then uh, one month after graduating, I went to this recruitment day um, where you would do all these different exercises, probably like 100 people there. And, uh, you know, things like you're on the moon with five other people, you've got five, you can choose five of these items, like how would you survive? I hated it, you know, and the whole goal of this recruitment agency was to look at like, who's the loudest, who can stand out, who can motivate, who can drive people. I'm such an introverted person, and so I just did not stand out whatsoever. Uh, but the difference with this one day was that that recruitment company um, had the employer there and there was an additional three-minute pitch at the end of the day. It was for a company called Cable & Wireless, which is uh, now Vodafone. Uh, and they uh, asked everyone to do a three-minute pitch on why you would be great in sales for that company. And, and I failed the rest of the day, but nailed that bit. And uh, long story short, I then found myself in uh, an account executive role. And I was just very good at it. And um, do you, do you yeah. remember, Do you remember the three-minute pitch at, at the end of it? <laughs> I remember writing it out and, and memorizing it. I don't remember it now. 
Uh, but I remember just spending so much time really researching the company, the branding, how do they differentiate, um, you know, what would really appeal to customers, uh, memorizing it, and then just delivering it authentically. Is, and, there, uh, is there something about that process and you being more introverted that, that kind of ties, ties together, you think? The way you took your time and were more meticulous and studious with it and wanted to make sure, you, you know, maybe you got it right, for lack of a better expression. I, I, I wonder if people who are super extroverted just, boom, they just go and, and they just yeah. let out whatever the first thing that comes yeah. to mind. And I, I wonder if there's... Mind is, uh, another job I held at, at Rico Europe, um, and this was as a global account manager working with their operating companies worldwide. And I was working with some of their largest customers. And I remember working with uh, a sales rep in the UK uh, on a couple of customers together. And the way I described it is that he would go into the room and he'd be able to light up the room. And he, he would be this extroverted personality. Um, anytime you wanted to hang out with someone, you'd hang out with him. And it, it wasn't me. Like, you asked me to make small talk. I'm hella awkward. I just can't. I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, so let's get on to business. Uh, but if you want me to get shit done, I would always get shit done. And, and I, I think that's what comes up for me here with that question was when you put that combination of these two salespeople together, you've got the relationship guy and you can light up the room. Uh, and, and he was good at getting stuff done, but maybe not to the level of detail that I was. Uh, and when you look at big global projects, you do need that. And so I, I think I relate that here to this exercise and really through to today as well. Like there are some salespeople that just go out there and, and make it happen and maybe not without the detail. And there's no plus or negative with that like sometimes it just works and then there are other people that will not necessarily uh flourish in situations where you need to decide how you're getting off the moon and stand out and be big and be bold but you give me a specific task and i will spend all the time in the world to try and nail it uh, and i will nail it scott that sounds familiar doesn't it does sound familiar, yeah. <laughs> Scott, Scott, Scott likes to light up the room, and I'm the guy who at least attempts to get shit done. Um, <laughs> so. I don't know if I love to light up the room. That I agree with. So I so, might be able to, Richard. Yeah. So Tim, when you when you finally made the move to Salesforce, did you come in just as as an account executive, or were you already in the product marketing role these days? Yeah, I did two years at Salesforce as an account executive. Uh, hit club both years. Um, so I had two great years. And so it wasn't, um, how do I be politically correct here? Uh, it, it was, uh, it was a controversial move, I guess, leaving that role. Um, and I, who, I, who, I was, who, who was the controversy for, for your boss, for your yeah, his manager, his manager just lost the number one person on his team. I can answer that question. <laughs> And manager and I, I was on a, I was on a very good track, and thankfully the management had put me on a leadership track, and I'm extremely grateful for that management. Uh, they uh, also at that time there it was very interesting because if you look at this guy, I'd been at Vodafone, I'd been at Rico, and they were hiring predominantly from the software industry, and um, you know I didn't have any software background. I had tech and telecoms background but didn't have any software background. And, and for me, that was my differentiator because I was able to come in and again, like I, I learned these other companies super easily um, and, it, and it worked. And I was working with some extremely large media enterprise customers in the UK um, and I had some great years. And 
Uh, so this was in 2012. And then I had a, a big life event in 2013, which is when I lost my dad. And I just, I just did not want to be in sales anymore. I, I think I kind of knew it before. Um, I really, I looked at what some of the marketing people were doing, some of the good marketing people, uh, not some of the shitty ones. And, uh, you know, I really looked at, actually they were making a massive difference, a massive impact. Um, you know, they would come into executive briefings and be able to deliver the product roadmap and really be able to make a, a, a meaningful impact in some of the bigger deals. And, and I, I really just was starting to feel resentful of like, what's your number? Have you sold this many licenses this month, this quarter? And, and that's not just a Salesforce thing. I think it's an industry thing. And, uh, and yeah, when you add in the loss of someone so meaningful to you, um, I, I think it makes sense that in some respects that I, I took on a change and I was, I had some career guidance at the time as part of this leadership program, uh, to create a role for myself. I think this is something that's said very widely. Um, it's extremely hard in some respects, like how on earth do I create a role for myself at, at Salesforce for any company? Uh, but at that particular time, uh, the sales cloud product marketing team in San Francisco, they were looking to, uh, I guess, the company as a whole, uh, as well as many other companies were looking to grow outside of the US uh, and some of the international regions. And so as part of that, they wanted to create a role which would be part of their team, but based in region, uh, who could deliver the product roadmaps and uh, and kind of be the voice on the ground. And, and so that was... Uh, it was something that I chose to do and, and thankfully was, uh, was good at. How do you feel like, um, and maybe you've seen this, I always have this challenge, Scott and I've talked about it a little bit, that product marketing is always well-intended, right? Like there's, they, they got it. They understand what they're trying to do, but sometimes it comes off to marketing. And, you know, the value I see of you is you get to come in from this sales perspective, this, hey, here's what the customers are really saying perspective. Is, am, am I right that that's kind of what happens sometimes and you wish you'd see more salespeople in product marketing? Like, what is your take on that? Yeah, I'm such a big believer that sales is marketing and marketing is sales. It, I think it's just the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've certainly seen many marketing campaigns before as a salesperson or even as a marketing person. I'm just like, that's bullshit. That's not really going to drive any, any sales whatsoever. Uh, or some marketing people that are just so focused on certain metrics, which again, I'm just not relevant to salespeople. Um, I think probably the most important thing is to ignore the title and get to understand the person and understand their role. Um, you know, thankfully I've been able to hold so many different roles within product marketing. So I've got very diverse experience, whether it's on camera work, event work, campaign work, PR, brand, um, messaging, content. What are, uh, what, what are, what are, you mentioned metrics that marketing is, um, kind of looking at that are meaningless for salespeople. Can you, will you be so bold as to say what some of those metrics might be? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the times, I'm, I'm, I'm just in completely off the top of my head right now, I haven't seen this recently, but uh, you know, let's say we put out a gated piece of content and we look at how many form completes have been uh, filled out. And maybe it's a really top of funnel piece of content, or maybe we look at uh, an event that's run and how many lead scans have we got? Um, or how much revenue uh, has been generated as a result of this event. And I, I think now what I see, and particularly within Salesforce, is, is we don't look at those metrics. It, it's actually a lot more detailed than that. It's looking at the overall journey. But there are still a lot of companies that are, are focused on some of those more traditional metrics. And I think it's really important to understand like what, 
what stage is this individual, i.e. prospect or customer in the journey? Uh, what are those different parts of the journey? And, and where do they need to get to? And so I think me going to a salesperson and saying, hey, you know, this, this person at enterprise company just filled out a form to read this analyst report, like what a great lead, you know, go follow up on it. As a, if I was a salesperson, like, I may get excited. Uh, I think also that I've learned uh, a lot that I need to qualify extremely hard and, and, and not just get excited about any, any old lead. And uh, I think sometimes some marketing people don't have that lens in it. They just think like, oh my God, they filled out the form and they're from this company, they must be the decision maker. Why, why, why is that mentality still so prevalent amongst uh, lack of training? Like, you know, I think it's driven top down. Like if these, these are what your goals Did you are. Get, you got trained on this? Well, I think having the sales experience, you know, that's, that's my training. So that when I'm in marketing, I'm, I, I can look at it and be like, well, it's just bullshit. Like that doesn't really, that's not relevant. So, so, so would it make sense to build content marketing teams from ex salespeople or people who have done the, done the role before? I mean, you said sales is marketing and marketing is sales, right? So I, I mean, I, you have a huge advantage in my opinion, because you've done the role not just for a minute, but for a couple of years and done it really well. And now you go to this other side of the, the fence. Um, I, I agree 100%. Like I, I think that if there are any salespeople that perhaps, uh, like when I made the transition, I, I negotiated a certain salary that, you know, I lost my upside, but I negotiated a, a base that I was comfortable with. And I was, I was in a place in my life where I wanted that regular income and was happy to give up that upside. So I would recommend that if there are any people in the sales industry that are in perhaps that state, perhaps they want to focus on other areas of their lives and have a regular income. I think marketing is, is a very uh, obvious transition for them um, because they have so, much, so many skills uh, to gain. And I think if, if you're marketing and you want to become a better partner for salespeople, you need to go shadow those salespeople and spend more time with those salespeople. Uh, and, and if you don't have the... Uh, I guess the autonomy or freedom to do that, and then even up at a management level, like you need to be spending more time with salespeople and understanding what, what drives them. Um, you should be able to go into a, a quarterly review that a sales leader is holding and, and be able to sit there and be able to offer, offer value to that meeting. Uh, and if you can't, then you need to understand why. What do you, what are, you know, what are the metrics? Let's, 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 we have a lot of people from different industries listening. Let's say you're at a startup, right? And you're, you, you know, you're sort of at series A or B, and you know you're growing you've got the product market fit what kind of metrics should they be looking for right rather than you know and granted most series a and b people don't have like you know data analytics of you know industry research and gartner type reports like like someone like salesforce might have what advice would you give them for the right data for marketing to be paying attention to I, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable asking that. I think it varies so much. Like, let's look at, you know, Richard, you and I work on Uncrushed and, and we've had these discussions before on, on like working with a particular enterprise client. You know, my view is that we need to do stuff right. And, and then we've also had discussion on like, well, it's, it's great to get the logo. And so I think it's, uh, I think it's really a discussion for wherever this company is at in a particular time. Like, what are your priorities? Like, is it important just to start building brand awareness and to get logos uh, on the resume, which can then build credibility? Or is it important that you really want to get people that are using the product and the product is working correctly and then they're going to be a brand evangelist and it's, it's going to take a longer path? 
So I, I think that's the first question is understanding like what are you what are you trying to achieve on what growth trajectory and um, and then start looking at your metrics there as well. If that kind of answers the question. <laughs> no, that I think that's good. I think that's that that helps people kind of step back and look at it a little bit differently, right? Because um, there you know there might be value of of some white paper downloads and stuff, but it kind of depends on where you're headed, and then is that white paper itself the right white type of white paper right like that's how i'm interpreting yeah. it. i can tell you that very few salespeople get excited about a white paper download right completely agree i yeah, don't I remember the last time i had a conversation with a sales rep of mine who was like "Ooh, my account downloaded the white paper <laughs> Fuck yeah this is getting right. hot no that doesn't happen i'm telling you that's not happening i think yeah. the biggest thing is like just making sure that you're putting on the customer hat like what is their journey? What 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 do they need? What do they want to see? Um, and all the different data points before they then become a customer. And this really goes in with the transition that we've seen over the last ten years. That we're no longer in this Rolodex day and you know information in black books. Yeah. Like the 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 buyer's got the power now, and they've got all the information. And so we need to be offering value. And, and this is something that's been talked about so much. Yeah. And so I think from a marketing strategy and sales strategy, we need to constantly think about what is their journey, what information do they already have, and at what stages can we provide value to them in order to get them to become a customer. Start to control that information a little bit better, right? Um, but I also, I'll also say that as much as the buyer can control the journey and they have all this information, the seller has equally just as much information too. What's lacking is teaching the sales reps how to actually use it, right? Right. How how to interpret this data and how to use it. Although I love what you said about the customer hat and we're about to have uh, Sahil on today from Bravado, who you just spoke with. And I think he always wears the sales hat. And I think Scott, we should tell me he needs to make a customer hat too, right? <laughs> right? Sahil and I actually, wow, we, uh, we talked a few, few weeks ago for the first time and uh, we connected on many different levels. It, it was a personal conversation. And uh, you know, one of the things I love about Sahil was he uh, a couple of years ago or last year they released a like mindfulness dream force or a guide on how to survive dream force uh and if you're not familiar with dream force uh google it it's uh, it's, it's massive and uh it blew, it blew me away like I'm, I'm so grateful that there is a like-minded individual that is really thinking about how to survive um because there's, there's a lot of uh you know activities that happen at these tech conferences which uh, are not the healthiest and, and even in just looking at burnout um so it's great to hear that he's on the show we're definitely like two kids yeah. there. Yeah. one of the, I, I like that you a lot of what you are talking about to me speaks to bringing humanity back into the workplace and and performance and management and just really being mindful and thoughtful about the things that really matter and kind of not worry so much about this little data point here and that little data point there. Um, was this, do you think about that? Like, man, we, we cannot lose the humanity in our, in our workplace. Was this part of what led you to, you know, the uncrushed journey and, and building out that, that organization? I think it's clearer to me now, you know, like if, if I look at different marketing campaigns that are out there about crushing your quota and, um, you're helping you to close faster and um and trying to use generic words because i'm not thinking of any particular company here uh but it, but essentially you know really just looking at 
sales as, as almost a robotic thing. Um, like what I want to see is, is how can we help salespeople be more successful in the days so that they can get home to be with their families, uh, whatever family may look like to them, or take care of their health, or to get to go travel, or to get to go create some new memories. Uh, and I, I have seen a growing trend, and this may be because I've changed the people that I follow on LinkedIn, um, but I've seen a growing trend of many people speaking about mental health and being much more vulnerable on LinkedIn. And, and they're the people that I want to listen to. Um, because do, you, do you see this, do you see this um, amplified in the sales department, in the, in the profession of sales compared to other departments? Or is, is this just a universal problem? And you know, those in marketing circles talk about it the same way, those in engineering circles talk about it the same way in finance. Or is, is this just really like a sales-centric kind of issue, at least for the moment? I think it's an everyone issue. I think uh, I think salespeople are, or at least from what I've seen. So I guess there's some experience in here. It's not just thinking. Uh, salespeople are much closer to the breaking point, and this is because there's just so much pressure uh, on these individuals. Um, you know, when you look at high-growing companies, there's just so much pressure, and it, and even just taking time off. It's it's like in the U.S. Like, what's the standard period of time off? Like two weeks. It's two two to three weeks. Um, and it's, it's, it's just insane. And, uh, yeah, so I, I see a lot of salespeople at a breaking point. I see a lot of salespeople coming forward and sharing their stories, uh, to answer your question around like why I created Uncrushed. Like I, I mean, when I lost my dad, I threw myself into work so much. Um, and, uh, and I know you had like Tammy on, on the podcast as well. And, and, and she, uh, she shared openly about a similar experience as well. Um, uh, and, and I think that's pretty normal. And, and I remember having one of my BDRs call me maybe like a few months later. And he said, like, I didn't really know how to interact with you because you were just acting normally like nothing had happened. Uh, and that's because that's what I th thought was the right thing to do. Like, just pretend everything's fine and just continue and, and just act this robot. Um, and unfortunately for me, uh, like that worked for a period of time uh, until then, like drugs got involved, alcohol got involved, none of which I'd messed around with before. And, uh, you know, middle of 2017, that's when I, I, everything just broke down for me. I just could not function anymore. Uh, and then that's really what started my journey of recovery, uh, with multiple treatment programs, a lot of time off work. Um, so there's a whole conversation there around, you know, having a supportive employer and, and my employer has been extremely uh, supportive. Um, but then at the end of 2018, uh, I, I felt like I was in a good place, uh, in my recovery and I, wanted to waive my anonymity and i think this was the next step for me is i didn't want to keep it a secret like all the stuff that, that had been going on and I, I felt a lot of uh concern and fear about going back to work and you know people just didn't necessarily want to talk about this stuff uh it's like you know voldemort uh you just you just don't mention it uh he who, sh who should not be named uh but uh, it i've been off a few times and uh and it, it's been really hard and so creating this platform and community for other people to come forward and share their experiences. Uh, and, and this is where Sahil and I really connected as well, uh, was, was just a, a, a beautiful thing. And we continue to see so much beauty in it, whether it's around burnout, stress, anxiety, sexual abuse, domestic violence, eating disorders, um, people are humans. And, and I really believe like when we talk about sales and to me, the biggest thing in sales is all about connection. 
uh, is truly building that connection with an, another individual. And, and Johan Harry, who's a researcher, and he talks about uh, on, on his uh, TED uh, conference, as, as well as the Joe Rogan podcast, he talks about that everything you know about addiction is wrong. The opposite of addiction is connection. And uh, connection is everything. And I think that's what we're trying to do. And I, I'm seeing more of this at Salesforce as well. There are people that are coming forward and sharing their vulnerabilities. And so whether it's sales or other roles, like people are connecting and they're connecting on a human level. And I think that inspires people to say, actually, you know what? It's okay to leave at 3 p.m. today or 4 p.m. Or it's okay to take a mental health day. It, it, it's okay to take care of yourself. What what advice do you give to people? Maybe they, you know, because look, we're a lot of us are reaching that stage where, you know, I, I call it the club that everybody joins and nobody wants to be a part of. Where where you know, whatever your your father or mother figure passes away, sometimes it's, it's not always biological, but that really important person in your family dies. What what advice do you give to that person about taking the right amount of time off, coming back to work, letting? How do you share with someone? To your, do, you, do you share with your team, hey, I just did this, so if you see me being down, just know that's what's happening? Like, what, What's something people can, who are listening could walk away with with some practical advice? Yeah, I'd say grief isn't a linear process. I spend a lot of time reading all the different books about the stages of grief. Um, they're great. Uh, it wasn't applicable in my case. Um, I think also recognizing that it, the saying of like time heals all wounds, uh, I think that's bullshit. Um, I think over time, my wounds have healed a little bit, but my wounds are always going to be there. And so my relationship with my wounds have changed. Um, so I think just recognizing that this is not something that's going to take, it may not take a day, it may not take a week, it may not take a month, a year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years. Uh, grief is so personalized. And there will be different ways personally to you to deal with it. Um, I would encourage transparency with your manager so your manager can be supportive um i would encourage spending some time with any remaining family if it's appropriate um but yeah like for me and i can only just speak from personal experience it didn't work for me um taking any time off uh like i was just working anyway but i i just my grief really hit a few times later on and i'm still dealing with the grief i still have a lot of unprocessed grief and it's it's gonna take a long time and I guess I wish that I'd known that up front. I, I really just thought like, okay, I have to figure this out. Same as in sales or in marketing. Like I just need to apply my business hat on. Um, and I've spent many, many years running away from my emotions. And so that's why it's not about the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the love, the food, because they're all solutions. It's For me, it's about sitting with my emotions, sitting with my sadness and, and being able to love myself and be content with myself. That's really where my work is. I think it's really important for those in the leadership position to to know how to have a conversation with people who are going through stuff whether it's grief or or whatever and i think too many of those folks in leadership positions don't don't know how to engage with people they certainly in a lot of cases have not been trained on it or gotten guidance from you know above from the company or from their hr department or whatever um and a lot of people you know haven't been through any of that stuff and if they have been through it they're unwilling to share so i think the easiest best thing to do to create a safe environment is if you're in a leadership position you've got to reveal yourself as human as well 
Right. You know, you, you talk about these things and things that you're going through and it becomes much easier, I think, for other people to approach you. You know, grief doesn't have to be about the loss of a person. I've been grieving the loss of my body for 20 years and it still hits me. And I still have moments where I can't believe that, you know, I'm not the same form and function that I was at 23. And, and, you know, just, I've been very open with all that and very open with the health struggles that I have on an everyday basis. You know, I spent four years in the hospital fighting for my life. My journey didn't end there. I haven't been quote unquote fine ever since. Right. I, you know, you go through these days and every day is full of physical pain that that's that's my day that's my last 20 years so i grieve all the time for health where has my health been i've lost it 20 years ago this is an ongoing struggle for me and you know i, I don't i i have had a different experience than than you i for whatever reason just thought why well, i just got to i'm just going to own it so i just talk about this stuff right. all the time um, but i think a benefit has been that people who have worked for me and with me have felt more comfortable coming to me and talking to me about their own shit because they know I'm all fucked up as well. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think that, you know, I really would encourage people in leadership positions to be vulnerable, reveal themselves, just be raw and be real. And you'll, the net benefit will be you'll have an environment that is a little more supportive and a little more communicative and a little more understanding and therefore safer for everybody who works with you. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah. So, so Tim, talk to, you know, and this is opposite of what we normally do, but I think it's too important not to, um, how can, how can uncrushed help folks? How, you know, whether it's at the individual, but also at the company level, like let's love to just let people know what, it's great that there's this community. There's a ton of resources on the website. Um, many of us who've been, who are part of Uncrushed will gladly jump on the phone and just talk to somebody or trade an email and, and support you. But what does Uncrushed do to support the organizations who are trying to tackle this and don't even know where to begin? Like, can you share a little bit about that? Because I, th I think it's important to note. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's essentially two things that the, the organization does. And again, it's, it's completely volunteer-based. And, uh, and a lot of people on the team have a, have a sales experience. And so I think that shows, again, that there's a lot of sales people that really care about this topic. And so I, I reference already that people come forward and, and share their personal experiences. And so there's a new piece that goes out each week. Uh, we've also been uh, going into organizations and, and running um, awareness events uh, within these organizations. And so these are company-wide events. They're two-hour events. Uh, I mean, they can be structured and customized accordingly. Um, and I would say it is most simplest is we, we have the experience on how to hold a safe space for people to come forward and share their experiences. And, uh, we did one recently where, which, uh, which I was involved in running and I, I just found it so powerful that there were three employees, uh, an account executive, an SDR leader, and the head of HR, uh, all shared their personal experiences, uh, that they've been through. And reading through the comments from employees afterwards, like they were just so grateful um, that the company decided to run this event. And 
I really think right now, like if we think about what are the, the two top uh, metrics for many organizations, it's like, how can we, uh, how can we attract the top talent? And then secondly, how can we retain the top talent? And uh, I remember when I joined Salesforce and they had, they talked about all these different meditation rooms that they have. Uh, and I, maybe this is an English thing, I'm not sure, but I was just like, okay, yeah, cool. That sounds great. And all this volunteering, like it just, I just didn't get it. It wasn't important to me. Now it's so important. And, um, and I think, I think these are really important things when someone joins an organization and it's why I was so grateful. We did another event last year at the university of Texas in Dallas, uh, with Dr. Howard Dover's team and they're doing some amazing stuff for the sales community. And, um, because one thing I constantly think about is how do, how do these people in their, in general, early 20s, who perhaps may have not faced a life event yet, how do we encourage them to be proactive in taking care of their mental health uh, before they, uh, they, uh, they experience a particular life event? And that's something that I think about quite a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm a big advocate for anyone that's, that's having this conversation. It doesn't have to be uncrushed. Uh, I think it's going to take an army uh, and, and that's why we don't try and keep people on, on crush or don't try and say we're the only answer. Uh, it's truly going to take uh, a lot of trailblazers to go forwards and uh, encourage people. And I think it's going to be a lifetime journey just as we see so much inequality in, uh, in gender, ethnicity, orientation. Um, we, this is to me, it's just another area of discrimination and, and inequality. And uh, it, we're right at the start of this journey. And um so even just, you know, like just a simple thing, like a takeaway from this, like, like stop using OCD as an adjective, like stop saying, oh, that must be my OCD or I'm some OCD sometimes. That's bullshit. If you're not diagnosed with OCD, don't say it. And a lot of the time it's, uh, it's actually nothing to do with cleaning and tidying up. Um, it's actually a lot to do with intrusive thoughts some very disturbing intrusive thoughts. And so just thinking about the language that we're using, uh, like I think, I can't remember if this is the beginning of the podcast or whether it's just off the air, but saying the words like crazy and insane, probably not the good words uh, to use. And, um, you know, and, and so I'm as guilty of it as well. And so I think it's just taking a pause sometimes and thinking about who are the people in the room? Like maybe, maybe commenting on someone's weight, like, oh, you've lost a lot of weight or you're looking great. Well, perhaps you didn't realize they've had an eating disorder before. And actually those, uh, those words could be extremely triggering for them. Um, you know, just as now, I think, uh, a lot of people are much more cautious on like giving someone a hug, you know, just thinking of like, what are, what are some of these boundaries? Uh, I think we should also establish some boundaries around what people say to each other as well. And there could be the view that, oh my God, we're becoming way too political and uh, politically correct. Uh, maybe that's the case. Uh, so this is just my opinion, my experience. And, uh, I'm also a big believer that two opinions can be right. Uh, you know, I, I don't have to force anyone to try and believe what I think. Uh, so, but I'm just sharing my opinion. Your, your, your sentence there about two opinions being right. I can't help, but, but point out the fact that you have a Messi and a Ronaldo Jersey <laughs> side by side next to each other on the back yeah. wall for anybody who's going to watch this. So Tim is clearly practicing what he preaches. Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. There's also, there's an the corner, but I, I mean, for, for, for people who don't understand uh, soccer and, and, and Spanish uh, soccer in particular, like this is akin to having a Yankees and a Red Sox jersey, like on your wall side by side. It doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't make a ton of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were you a soccer player or were you a footballer growing up? 
No, I played rugby. Uh, I sucked at, at soccer. I would play in defense and uh, I'd just get sent off every game because anytime a striker would run towards me, I'd just take him out. Um, but I was a big fan, big Arsenal fan. I still still follow it. And uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I love it. You know, that, that was actually one of the things I lost in, in my uh, substance abuse addiction was I remember this turning point when like, I had a season ticket and wouldn't go to a game because uh, I wanted to go get high instead. And uh, so like a lot of my work uh, more recently over the last few years has really been reconnecting with uh, the stuff that I really used to enjoy. So I've actually I just, just subscribed to WWE, uh, you know, the wrestling channel, and I've been reminiscing on the 90s Royal Rumbles and WrestleManias. Uh, you know, these are just things I used to enjoy as a kid. And um, that actually brings me a lot of a lot more happiness as well. And that just helps change my overall personality that I can then take into the workplace. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, we're, we're sort of getting to the end. I, the one thing I want to bring up is that I love what you said about, you know, making sure these young people who don't have a life experience start to anticipate it. What I do think they do bring to the table, though, is they're way more vocal about what's happening. They will share on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat what a shitty day they're having or whatever. Like they, it's in their culture. And I think part of the challenge isn't, it, yes, let's, let's give them some skills and tools to actually cope. One is admitting it, which is good, uh, but the other is is our generation, right? You know, we we've been told not to talk about this stuff. We've been conditioned on the wrong side. So there's a yin and yang to this, where as leaders, you know, no matter what, we all have to sort of figure it out too. And so I, I want to make sure that we we point that out. That that's why I like working with the younger generation. I may not always agree with their opinion, but at least I know what it is, right? Like at least yeah. I, you know, when that's really a pleasant pleasant thing. And I, I will say, like, uh, you know, I just want to be cautious in the words that they may not have had a life experience. Fair and enough. Fair enough. I'm, I'm aware, like, uh, I, I participate in a, a grief group. There's a great organization called The Dinner Party, uh, a non-profit. And they, uh, they enable people to host grief groups uh, for people in their 20s and 30s. And there's some people that have lost parents, you know, at the age of three, at the age of four or five, um, or experienced some other traumatic stuff as well. And... And I, I did experience that at UCD as well. And so, yeah, I think it's all just uh, being super cautious about we don't know what someone's experience is um, and how, how, how we can be supportive. That's great. So there's, Tim, we always, we always... There's, there's just a big theme of mindfulness that is, um, has, has come you know, to the forefront. I mean, yeah, call it political, politically correct if you want, but... Um, Usually the people who are, in my experience, who are rebelling against that stuff are people who have perhaps been part of the problem and they don't really enjoy being called on some of their shit. Um, So, you know, I I just think the phrase that I would like to use is just be mindful of your your words, be mindful of your your actions. Um, And I think things get a lot simpler if you can just think of it in, in those terms. Yeah. Yeah. So Tim, we, we always turn this around at the end um, and, and sort of, cause you've been super gracious with your time and, and sharing your story and sharing all kinds of ideas. How can Scott and I help you? What, you know, what can we do to help Tim Clark either at the Salesforce level, the uncrush level, or just the Tim Clark level? I think you already helped me like just by having this conversation, you know, I, I, and I think I'm sure some of this will come up with Sahil as well. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, 
I think everyone just using the opportunity to bring some humanity into their uh, into their conversations. And one uh, one thought that comes to mind, and, and this is from one of the recovery programs that I work, uh, it talks about it's the constant thought of others and our usefulness to them. And so, you know, maybe if you're driving today and uh, and someone cuts you up, like a, a great saying that I've heard is like, if you always let someone in, they can never cut you up. And because uh, you just never know that like maybe they're trying to get to the hospital or maybe they're, they're trying to get somewhere a lot more urgently than you. And so just practicing that mindfulness and, um, and maybe if you're struggling yourself a little bit, just, just take a time out and uh, fuck anyone that tells you you need to hit your number today uh, and uh, you need to be on this call. Like if your health comes more importantly, and this is something that we talk about on Crushed a lot, like in terms of priorities, health comes first. Uh, your family and friends come second, your work comes third, and Uncrush comes fourth. We're always the lowest priority. So both you guys have already done me a, a massive service, you know, just by having this conversation. And um, I'm always open to to talking about this. And uh, and I am grateful that both of you have been open as well. And uh, it's where connection, that's what Brennan Brown talks about, right? Vulnerability is that is that birthplace. And uh, we're we're building authentic connection here. How can how can people get in touch with you if they want to if they do want to get in touch because they've got a couple of different ways I know so I want people to think about it. Yeah, so many. Uh, the easiest way is uh, Tim Clark at uncrush.org. Um, <clears throat> you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I still get so much spam on LinkedIn by connecting with people that I don't know and they're selling to me. And so the easiest way is email. And that's another whole conversation there. Uh, <laughs> <Next> <laughs> but uh, email is the easiest way. Yeah. I'll check out Uncrushed as well. Uh, it's, it's across all the social media channels. Yeah. I, I know we can't talk about products and stuff, but you know, I wish Salesforce could solve that problem, the email problem, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you never know. I mean, I guess now LinkedIn is owned by another big tech company and maybe they'll solve that. Uh, <laughs> the show has turned into a comedy show at the very right. end. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your time today, Tim. Yeah, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I know we'll talk offline on some other stuff. Awesome. Cool. I represent. Yes. Thanks, Tim. There you go. Thanks, guys.